How you guys doing? Doing Joel. good. What's up, Joe? What's going on? Nothing. Nothing much, man. Just a uh, long week. You know, for those out there, Joe and Brian stopped over yesterday, and we filmed a bunch of material for the membership site, which uh, we might as well start off by talking about that. I did a lot of – I had a lot of help from Russell Stutley lot of problems because of Russell's location and software glitches and, you know, whatever, plugins. And I think we got it all under control. There's one last test that we're going to run today after the podcast, Joe and I, quickly. And then it's just a matter of uploading the videos, putting the links in, and launching the program uh, April 1st. So maybe next week we'll uh we'll discuss it on the podcast in depth um but yeah that's just uh, so far everything is looking uh looking really good so um yep that's it that's the that's the update how you doing nico good tony so is, is everybody going to get like a mass email to you know when to find out about the launch of the program or are you well, just going to well, I have a newsletter list. I don't, yeah, so I'll mail it out to the newsletter list, po post it on Facebook, on my business page there, post it on my website. You know, I got to, well, that's another thing we have to do. We have to run the the, uh, the ad copy, as they call it. We got to get that, Joe and Andre and everybody. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah, and then we'll post it on YouTube, and Joe will post it on in Instagram. Yeah, that's about all I can do. And we'll just keep plugging it on the podcast and, uh, you know, hope for the best. Hope we get, you know, a million subscribers, man. Shit, that'd be great. Nice. I'm just happy after a day of uh, having you and Brian demo on me that I'm still, I, I, for some reason, I can actually, I use all my limbs still. I thought I wasn't going to be able to look to my left or right with my neck. There was a lot of neck cranking going on, but yeah, I guess it's uh, my body starting to, to numb to the, to the, the effects. I, I'm feeling good about that at least. Yeah, we, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's it's difficult for me to control my urge to just open up on you, right? Because of all the torment you put the really the whole world through with these podcasts. Uh, but no, I behaved and yeah, it was all good. Um, yeah, it was great. We had we had uh, some technical issues with my new camera setups uh, that I had a well. We, we were able to get the stuff. It's just a matter of now. I got to edit it. But yeah, we. Um, we have to work through that. I think that problem is solved. So, yeah. But, yeah, it was good to see you. I'm glad you're feeling good. The pizza, well, you didn't have any pizza, Joe, but Brian and I sure did. I wish Nico could have made it. Yeah, it was good pizza, and it was a good time. 
Yeah, definitely good to be get Nico in there to have someone else to uh, to rip on a little bit. <laughs> well, I haven't seen Nico in a year, you know, so it's you know the COVID thing and whatever. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, now that Nico moved even further away, it's it's you know, but let's not go down that rabbit hole because that's there's going to be a happy ending to that. I'm sure there is, you know. Um, but yeah. Uh, we're going to, uh, I, I've got to reach out to a couple of people that I want on, well, you reached out to one person, Joe, regarding, well, actually two, regarding being upcoming guests. I reached out to one and I have to just, you know, lock it down, you know, confirm the, the date with him. And, uh, you know, it's, some of these are difficult because of time differences. You know, like Russell was 12 hours, person I'm trying to get on Paul Dodds was uh is like six hours or something time difference so it's scheduling issues many times hey Brian Brian had mentioned go ahead um Brian had mentioned that a friend of his is studied the history of wrestling or something like that or he's a historian about wrestling I think he'd be a good guy to get on maybe you could talk to Brian yeah I don't I don't know who you're referring to uh so yeah sure and then we want to get, you know, I'd like to get other people just completely out of the martial arts or fighting related things, you know, just different uh, down the line, you know, we'll see. We, we, we have nothing but time. So anyway, uh, yeah, this week, well, this coming week, Tuesday, my mother gets her second vaccination shot, Pfizer, and the 23rd so uh from april 1st i will get back attempt to get back into the gym and start lifting weights i didn't want to do it until she was fully vaccinated um i did get an email from the county uh because i had signed up i had signed her up i don't qualify because of my i'm i'm young younger um and they keep sending emails that there's you know, very limited spots in this county. My county happens to be the fourth or fifth highest uh, positivity rate in the in, in the whole state. So if people just don't take it seriously out here, but uh, I won't get vaccinated for a while simply because you know they're not opening it up to people my age. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to wait until my mom got vaccinated before I started going to the gym. So hopefully, the first of the month. I can get back to lifting, man. It's tricky. Yeah. I mean, too bad your car is not in better shape because I've heard that certain counties kind of outside of the city are starting to get, you know, kind of get ahead of schedule. So like where I'm at in DuPage County, it's still pretty much by the book as far as who can get it. But I know some people who've, you know, driven an hour or so you know, away from the burbs and were able to like, you know, set up an appointment in CVS and get it, even though they are not, you know, they're younger or whatever, because, uh, it, you know, it just seems by like county by county, it's different. You know, there's not like a consistent approach statewide as far as who's able to get the shots first. So if you're willing or if you're able to drive for it, you can get the vaccine, I think at this point, but again, you got to do, you know, do some research and, and be able to, uh, travel if need be. So, well, we'll we'll play it by ear. First and foremost is making sure that she's okay with it, you know. And like I said, Tuesday, 
she's getting it through the uh, adult daycare facility. So that's, they take her to some clinic. They took her, like I said, two or three weeks ago, whenever it was. And now the 23rd uh, will be the day. So I've heard that the second shot, well, you had, what, what shot did you have, Moderna or Pfizer? I had the Pfizer. Yeah. And, and the second shot laid me out bad. You yeah. Know, that's like a, what I'm hearing. So I'm kind of, you know, worrying about that. I don't want her to, you know, get sick or, you know, think the worst when it, it may not be that, you know, maybe just a, may just be a passing thing. But anyway, yeah, we'll just, I, I would, you know, I, I look forward to getting back to lifting, um, you know, so that'll be, that'll be nice. It's been 14 months, I believe, you know, last time I lifted was in February or yeah, I think, yeah, of last year. So it's been a while, 13 months, over a year, but at least I keep my weight, you know, where it needs to be. So I don't, I don't have any worries. It's just, you know, the first couple of weeks, you don't work your way back into it. No big deal. Been there, done that before. So a uh, lot of people are getting sick of being cooped up in the house. They want to get out and be around people again. Well, that's the, you know, again, that's even for forget about COVID, forget about COVID even existing. Just where I live is isolated. And, you know, there's a very small percentage, percentage of um, single people around here. Now, I mean, unless we're, you know, the 20-year-olds, I'm not talking about that. But, you know, I'm talking 30, 30s and up. Uh, so there, even before the COVID, they're, they're, this, this is not a congregation area where people go out a lot. Um, if you drive 35, 40 minutes, yeah, then you then there's places where they have live music or whatever. But I'm also kind of stuck that I can't leave with my mom. But now that she's back in daycare, I, I might be able to get out around here locally. I got to keep it local um, during the day. And I, and I do have to keep it local because of if something happens to my mother, I got to get back to the house or I got to get you know, to the hospital or whatever. So it's not like I can just take off, you know. Um, but yeah, that's why it was great to see Brian and Joe yesterday, you know, I mean, awesome. Yeah, because of that situation. I mean, it's 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 kind of a bummer. It's, you you got to do what you got to do for family. But I mean, the ability to come into gyms in the city now is kind of out of the question. For me, uh, yes. Yeah, and so, you know, the various guys who, you know, pre-COVID who were training and stuff, we're going to have to figure out how to get them out to you on a kind of a, a regular rotation, you know, to kind of once, once, like I said, especially when after you get your first shot, you know, we can start to try and figure something out for that, but that's going to, you know, that's going to be not so easy, I think all the time. So. Yeah. Well, that's, that's part of, well, you know, look, uh, they're, they're going to have to come here to train. It's as simple as that. I mean, I, Tony's days of making house calls are over. I mean, they, they were, they should, they're great guys and they'll, they'll understand it. They were lucky enough that I was able to get out there back then. I, you know, I didn't have that luxury when I was learning. I like most people don't, you know, you got to go to your instructor, not the other way around. Um, and as far as doing a once a month seminar, yeah, if the turnout is substantial, that'll be okay because I'm going to have to pay to have somebody watch my mother while I'm gone, you know, for those, you know, basically probably close to eight hours. Um, it's just, an, it's an hour and a half, two hours on, well, two hours on a weekend, one way. 
just to get to Chicago. So that's four hours just in driving. And, um, you know, so I'm, I'm going to have to make sure that, you know, the seminar is financially feasible. Um, so what we'd probably have to do when that time comes, and it's, it's not right around the corner, but when it does, everything will have to be pre-ordered. You have to, you'll have to uh, reserve your spot online. And then if there's, you know, not a good enough turnout, then I just have to refund the money. Um, you know, it's just all there is to it. It, it. This is common. It, that's how a lot of seminars are. You have to, you know, pay in advance. Schedule, you know, we were talking about that yesterday when you guys were discussing Comic-Con or something, whatever that was, uh, that you have to pre-order your tickets, right? Well, yeah, specifically we're talking about the San Diego one, which has just kind of become impossible to get into. But, yeah, that that's kind of a whole different thing it's all kind of out the church because it's all tied in with hollywood now and everything where literally you have to get in if you're not if you don't already if you're not like a season ticket holder kind of a setup you have to get into a lottery to try and buy the tickets and it's like a year in advance it's 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 crazy how big that's gotten um but for sure yeah you're always buying your tickets in advance or whatever for these events yeah i mean even i think we did that with our seminar uh seminars before um it's just you know the, the the way to do it you know so you can um uh what's the word i'm looking for uh you know you don't you just because of the venue that you're at the gym that you're at you need to know that you're going to have enough space or you know whatever but uh that's just the way there's going to have to be concessions i mean it's not a big deal if you really want if you're serious about learning i mean my goodness it's a minor minor thing to pay in advance but um, we'll figure that. That's like I said, down the line. Um, right now, I'm hoping for this membership uh, to uh, really, uh, I mean, you know, just be huge. You know, there's reasons. There's no reason that it it shouldn't be. You know, it should be. You know, I would think thousands of subscribers. It's just based on things. So we'll see. Well, you know, if it doesn't fly, then we cancel it, and then you know, that's it. So what else is up, man? Nico, what's uh, what's cooking with you? Are you back to working now since the weather's changing? Are you working more often? I'm going to be getting back, I think, next week. So, yeah, i just been working April. on April. Yes, April. Just working Good. on a project right now. So, yeah. <clears throat> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm just, uh, you know, we uh, – we have a lot, a lot on the on the plate, though, you know, for people coming up now. Yesterday was the first day of spring, and yep, I have spring fever. Uh, I've done a lot of stuff, as you guys know, around the house here, and especially this gym area regarding filming. And now, when the weather starts in another couple of two, three weeks, it starts to get better. And I gotta cut my grass, do all of that jazz, and uh, you know, get get that looking appropriate. So, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. Busy, busy. So on a more serious kind of note, there's been a lot more, uh, an uptick in violence in the news a lot. You know, obviously certain, uh, like, you know, groups of Asian Americans have been targeted. I don't know if you've seen any of those clips. And I just saw a headline um, on uh, the Trib, the Sunday's Trib, talking about carjackings on the rise. Um, I don't know if we can talk about uh, kind of those topics in general and and just your thoughts on kind of – strategies uh like maybe we can break down each scenario like what what advice do you have uh when you're out and about in your car to stay safe and things like that 
Well, yeah. Well, the carjackings have been a big thing in Chicago. That's something that, you know, can hit anyone, any, you know, anywhere really. I mean, carjackings are not a new phenomenon, but they've really, you know, have gone off the charts in the city. Um, most of the carjackings, not all, you know, when I say something, it's generally speaking, because when you're dealing with, you know, so many quantity of things, every, everything is a little, you know, every, everyone has their own little specificity, but um, generally they get you going to your car. Okay. Uh, the carjacking while you're in the vehicle is not as prevalent, but it does happen. Okay. Um, let's discuss that. In, for those of you who don't know Chicago, um, now, I don't know what's been happening since COVID, but generally in Chicago, uh, you tend to have, well, I don't know if they're all homeless, but you have people that will really approach your car at a red light, okay? They'll want to wash your car windows, believe it or not, your windshield. They'll want to sell you bottles of water. Th this is all commonplace, right? Or at least was. Um, so in the city, what the reason I bring that up is people tend to expect that. Well, I'm going to drive around. I'm probably going to get approached. So the first thing to realize is don't let anybody approach your vehicle anymore. And one of the most important things to do is if there's a car in front of you, don't, I mean, leave space between your front end and their rear end, you know, to, if you can, and somebody is starting to approach you and you think it's a violent encounter that you have an escape route if possible. Okay. Now I say if possible, because, you know, you may have cars right next to you um, and you have to make a, a split second determination here of is your car valuable enough to lose your life? Because correct me if I'm wrong, but people have been shot during these uh, carjackings. Correct, Joe? Oh, I'm sure of it. I mean, I don't know of specific cases, but I mean, I, these are usually armed and you know, armed encounters. And so even if someone is not intending to, things can just go wrong or escalate quickly. So uh, for sure, I'm, I'm sure people have died. And I, I, I can't think of the specifics, but I'm sure of it. Well, I don't know even about death, but just, you know, getting shot or something, you don't, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to do that. You don't want to have that happen. So this you have to take the worst case scenario. My car got stolen once, twice in one day, actually. It's a classic story. Um, yeah, well, and I, well, I guess we should discuss that too, because, but anyhow, I had irreplaceable things in my car, cassette tapes from when I was young, playing music and all of that, uh, music teachers, books, authentic first, like, Hundred year, almost hundred year old books from Frank Frank Gotch and Farmer Burns. And just I had them in my car because I want you know I wanted to show people, and all of that was gone and never never recovered um, when my car got stolen. So, I first line of defense is don't have anything irreplaceable in your vehicle. Okay, if it's a one of a kind item, you know just be very leery because. You may not get your car back, or if you do, it may be stripped, or who knows, okay? You have to always think worst-case scenario. Um, but if it isn't, if they try to get you before you get to your car, you know, that all boils down to awareness. 
And what I would like to do is maybe film a video with you, uh, Joe, coming up in, in the spring when the weather's nicer and, you know, we can film it using vehicles, you know, using a car, an actual scenario. If we can get Brian involved or somebody to run a camera, um, I will show you some things that I think are prudent. It'd be easier for me to show you than to tell you. But first and foremost is awareness. Uh, one of the problems that many of us have is we're preoccupied with our cell phones, okay? You see it all the time. People are on their phones, texting, talking. Uh, just That's all a distraction. You can't be like that anymore. You, you, you shouldn't be anyway. Forget about the carjackings. You, you sh shouldn't be. But it's all about knowing where you're at, looking around, watching yourself. Um, for example, if you see what you would think is a suspicious person, don't walk to your car. Okay, If you're leaving a building, go back in the building. Don't go to your car if you suspect somebody is there. Um, while generally I like to park my vehicle as far away from the entrances because I, I'm not worried about those things. I probably should be if I was in a city, but I'm not. I like the exercise and everything. Um, but for many of you, maybe keep it close. Um, Park near where you know there's a security camera, even though that may not prevent the uh, the assault. It'll perhaps be caught on camera, and you know anything that you can do to get these people arrested and get them off the streets is is a good thing. But yeah, let's let's plan on filming something because it's when you say awareness, being aware, that's such a broad term. There are specific things that you need to do physically. Um, and I, th I think it's important to cover it. One of the tactics I remember reading, and I thought it was clever, though it's maybe not necessarily easy depending on your driving skills, is that like if you're in a parking garage or something, most people just pull the front end of the car in. So if you're, there's a wall that you're parking up against, the nose of your car faces that wall. But the risk there is when you open that door, if someone's coming up behind you, you know, they can force you into that car or get in the car with you. So if you back in, so the rear end is facing the wall or barrier. When I go to open the door, if someone tries to get between me, you know, like my door is actually a barrier between me and that person, at least momentarily. So they're not, they don't have access to get in with me. I theoretically could get into my car, you know, and close the door. Yeah. Some parking facilities do not allow you to back in. Okay. Um, that's an absolute fact. I've, I've seen that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I get that. I mean, I'm not saying that's not a, I mean, I, to me, it's just more convenient to back in, you know, when you're ready to leave, it's just a quicker exit, regardless of the uh, threat of uh, crime. But believe me, if they have a gun, you, you don't know what's in these people's minds, but there's really nothing stopping that bullet. If, if that's what they're, they're really intending to do. Um, I know in the nicer sections of Chicago, uh, they're getting you in your car. They don't want you to leave the car. They want you in the car and they drive, they force you to go to an ATM and take money out of the ATM. All right. So it's a stick up. It's a kidnapping, really. Uh, that's a big thing. And that's happening, like I said, in Lincoln Park, which is traditionally a you know, nice area. I was living there for a while, you know, so it's, it's happening there. Uh, and I'm sure in other places as well. So 
it, it's just, it's a sad thing. And, you know, because you, you have to almost live like that. Now, I'm sure there's going to be people that are going to advocate uh, concealed carry or something. You know, that's your choice. But that takes an awful lot of training, both, you know, physically using the gun and psychologically, you know, to be able to get to any weapon that you may have on you. Okay. It has to be accessible because these people generally that are going to rob you, they're going to get the drop on you. You know, they're going to either have their weapon already drawn or, you know, this is, this is a routine for them. They're, they're going to be able to get it and pull it out. Okay. So it, it's not, there's just no simple cut and dry thing. This is really deep and it's, and it would take, training no matter what even if i were to tell you a, a special move that's guaranteed to work you still have to train and train and train that's the thing that a lot of people don't want to hear so they're, they're looking for something quick and easy that's guaranteed to work <laughs> well not, nothing guaranteed to work you know in a scenario where maybe there's not a gun involved because kind of a gun can you know, one wrong move, obviously, that could be your life, you know, if they're coming out. And it seems like you've got to make some really quick decisions about how valuable that car is to you or how, how much of a risk you're going to be in if you comply. But in other scenarios, do you, you know, you know, recommend other things like trying to make noise, like honking your horn or obviously be prepared to go through red lights if need be or like, you know, if you're at a stop sign or something? Well, first of all, you never know that there's not a gun involved. Okay, all you know is that you're not aware of one. Okay, so he or she may have that gun and not have pulled it yet. I get your point, though. Um, well, yeah, uh, you can. If there's a car in front of you, you can ram that guy if you had to. Now you got somebody else. I mean, I hate to say it, but now you you have somebody else involved in this situation. Okay, um, if your car is demolished or you know messed up, it may not be of value if if the robber is looking for your vehicle, I, I think some of the stuff that I've read that the cars are being used in the commissions of other crimes. So they're like a stolen car, but uh, yeah, you, you can obviously, like I said, if you can create space, space enough to, to drive off and learn to drive low, you know, so you're not, you know, potentially going to get, get shot um, and drive, just as I would tell you when you're running away, don't just drive straight, swerve, do, you know, don't, don't wreck you, you don't hurt anybody innocently, but don't make an easy target, you know, make yourself a moving target. So, you know, it's going to be harder if this, if this person or persons are attempting to shoot you. All right. Uh, most of them are not marksmen. All right. It's going to be difficult for them to pull it off. So, yeah, you can, you, of course, you want to try to make an escape and make that escape as, you know, as, as quickly as possible and know your routes, you know, know, know where you're going. And kind of like when I was a kid, we all had, because we lived in such a bad area, we tried to find safe havens. Okay. We can get to Mrs. Green's house. All right. We know that she'll let us in that kind of deal. So if you can find, if you know, safe havens, safe spots, um, you know, gas stations even, or just anything, 
that where you can run to quickly uh, and make the details known immediately, what they look like, what they were wearing before it blacks out in your mind. Okay. But you, you, you can't think about it anymore because you're now you're under, you're in shock. So um, yeah, there are, there are contingency plans, Joe, but it's just what, sometimes you have to sit there and say, today's just not my lucky day. You know, it's bad, bad luck happen here. One of the other things I've heard, and this may be, this is maybe dated. I don't know if this is even still occurring, but even the simple act of like occasionally they would roll up and bump the back of a car. Cause it used to be people would get out and want to check inspect the scratches on their car or whatever. Um, and you know, if you're alone or in a, like a, a situation where you don't feel safe, just ignore that or just that's your time to leave, you know, but that, well, yeah. So absolutely. And they, and there's people in the front of you that will back into you and claim you hit them. Okay. Not, not, not even trying to carjack you just like insurance fraud. Yeah. In a case like that, see, you want witnesses. Okay. Yeah. If somebody hits you legitimately or, you know, and it turns out to be legitimate, you know, not a uh, act of crime, you still really want to pull over uh, in a populated area or where, where there's witnesses. Same with police. You know, there's with these plainclothes cars, police cars, you don't know if that's truly a police officer or not. You don't. And even some municipalities, police municipalities have said, you know, pull over in a, you know, a parking lot of some sort, let's say a Walmart or whatever, whatever it's closed. I mean, I, I don't think the cop's going to let you drive 20 miles, but you know, yeah, you, you, you have to protect yourself. And now witnesses do not guarantee your, your success, but it's better than being all alone, being totally isolated. That's, you know, that's the worst thing. Um, again, though, let's just be perfectly clear when, when a bad guy or gal has it in their, you know, in their mind to do something, they don't, I mean, they don't even care about witnesses. Like when, when people advocate that you should pack a gun, let's just be one, I'm not getting into that debate, but let's just make one thing perfectly clear. Police officers who are obviously armed get shot all the time. Okay. It happens. So the fact that somebody, the let's call it the good guy, has a weapon, doesn't stop the bad guy if they're determined to shoot. And and this is really important. So many times, advice is based on compliance. You hope that screaming for help will scare the bad guy. Uh, police officer, you hope that your commands will be followed by the person that you're apprehending. But you can't live with that kind of hope. You have to train for the worst case scenario. And I emphasize the word train. You know, it's, it's, you, you have to train yourself to be prepared for this stuff. That's, that's all I can tell you. Yeah, I think there should be a prerequisite to training with the cops. I don't think, really, in my opinion, I don't think somebody should be a cop if they have no idea what they're doing and just like basic self-defense maneuvers, basic level of grappling, uh, a basic level of shooting, which I'm sure they probably all have that. But uh, I think the standards should definitely be higher. Also, a, a basic level of physical fitness, too. 
I definitely think they should raise the bar. I mean, to become a firefighter, you have to go through a pretty rigorous test. I think the police should be even more rigorous, but it's actually way less, which it should, I, in my opinion, I think that should be reversed. I think the cops should have a very high standard to getting in and also staying in law enforcement. Well, I can't disagree with you there. I agree, but but bear in mind that you know, there's a lot of police officers that really honestly never ever 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 get involved in any sort of serious encounter, okay? Um, we tend to hear all the bad stuff. And that makes the news. And it's sensational stories and and what have you. But for the most part, you know, every police officer that I've ever known, I mean, they, they worry about traffic stops, no doubt, but they're, every cop I've ever known has told me domestic is, is the call that they hate the most. Going to a domestic violence call. Um, now, maybe times are changing, but I, I, don't, I don't know about all that. But I agree that, you know, you should be fit. You should be in shape. I do not believe, yeah, I, I, we've talked about this before. I don't believe that the grappling that they're teaching or learning is, is anywhere near sufficient. You know, you, you have to learn how to control your uh, adversary. It's all about controlling that person. And I don't care if you never use a submission hold. You can still, uh, or a choke hold, for example, you can still control that person. Um, they don't learn this because a lot of martial arts styles aren't, aren't about controlling as much as looking for, I mean, it's a sport. Okay. So you don't want that. Um, it's a difficult wicket too, that you're going through. I, I can't speak for every municipality out there, but they have their own rules. Um, but you're right about the fitness. That's something that should just be across the board. Um, you know, I would, I mean, I'm, I'm always in shape. I'm lamenting the fact that I haven't lifted in a year, but I, I still keep my weight down, you know, um, yeah, you would think that they would. Yeah, some do. Some actually go overboard and they use performance enhancing drugs, uh, which, you know, I don't advocate that at all. You don't need all that. You, you Again, if, if you're in a task force, maybe where you're dealing with, you know, felons all the time that, you know, came out of the penitentiary that are jacked up, that's, that's a whole, that's a small, that's a whole different arena here. Okay. But not, again, not all police officers encounter that, you know. Um, I have an interesting story on that. One time I was with my friend. He, he passed away in 2007, Christmas Day. Um, he was a Chicago police officer for 28 years, and the only reason he didn't get the 30 is because of the cancer that ultimately took his life. So he retired. He was retired. But um, yeah, one day we were all out, and uh, the owner of the place called him into the back and he was gone for a few minutes. And we heard this big, like, it sounded like an explosion. We didn't know what it was. It was a gunshot, but we didn't know what the hell was going on. And Jerry comes back up and we're like, man, what the, and he's all smiles. He says, well, I finally did it. We're like, well, my buddy Hank, he's like, what, what? He's like 28 years on the police force. I finally had to use my gun. There was a rat down in the basement, and he had to pull his gun out and shoot the rat. So in 28 years, Chicago cop, he never never used his gun. And you know, that, that story is quite common. Not, now, of course, there are police that have done it, but 
But nonetheless, I agree with you that you should be physically fit. You should be trained um, to learn how to defend yourself and to control the opponent. I mean, why wouldn't you? I don't, I don't know. Unless again, you're in that kind of area where you don't really need it. You don't think you'll need it. All right. And I still believe it's better to be prepared. Have you seen any of these uh, videos that have been posted about the, the attacks on the Asian Americans? A lot of them, they just look like they're just kind of randomly. Now, obviously, there was the mass shooting, which is a whole other thing. But uh, in general, a lot of them are, it seems like the elderly now are being attacked on the streets and things like that. Um, I mean, I don't know if there's anything, you know, really, the only thing that can be done as a community is, is really start to pair up and start to escort people at that point. Um, I don't know, have you, have you seen any of those clips? I've been tied up not seeing the clips, but I will say this, that, I mean, this is nothing. In my day and age, growing up in the 70s, this was a common thing, okay? Not necessarily a particular race or, or something like that. It was just, let's say, the elderly. In, in my community, it was all of us. It was every age group. And around the country, yeah, talk about, talk to people my age or older from New York City and all the muggings and and all the old timers that got beat up. There was just somebody now that I read. I didn't, there was no clip. 102 years old. They got beaten to death in their apartment with an ax. Now, I don't think they got chopped. Maybe they got, you know, hit with the ax handle. I don't, I don't know. 102 years old. Because a lot of people prey on the weak. That's the thing. You know, you're a, you're a victim. You're a mark to them. Okay, that's. That's what they see. They see somebody who's not going to be resistant. I do know that there was a story about some 76-year-old Asian lady that fought back on her attacker uh, this, you know, the week that just passed. But, I mean, this is terrible. And what are you going to tell these, these old-timers that, you know, start learning martial arts, go train? Come on. You're right. There, there has to be a community thing. There has to be planning. You're right about the escort thing, but I can tell you just from my personal experience just now, just as, as, as of now, when my car couldn't get out because of the ice, and you know that, I had no help, okay? Uh, I had my friend Holly who would come over, but she doesn't drive, okay? So I, there was times where I can't get to the, to the store, and I I can understand how some of these elderly people may not have anybody to help them. And that's, that's a shame, but there, there has to be some sort of outreach. And again, that, that's limited. You can't be with somebody 24 hours a day. Um, we're just going through a rough time. I mean, things have calmed down in this country. The, the, according to the FBI, the violent crime statistics had, had fallen, you know, since the seventies. And yeah, you're right. I think, I think it's on an uptick now. We have to wait for the, you know, it takes a while. There's a lag on the reporting. So we have to wait probably till the end of this year to just, or sometime this year to see how bad 2019, 2020 was and all of that. Um, we're just hearing a lot more about this. Aren't we? Yeah. I, I think that old people have been getting preyed upon for 
since probably since the beginning of time. So I don't think that's a new thing at all. I'm not familiar with the videos, but uh, yeah, I think they're just being more highlighted more maybe in the media, but I don't think it's new at all. No, I don't think so. I mean, I know it's not new, but again, this is just even, even in the animal kingdom, they, they prey on the weak uh, and they perceive old timers, ladies, whatever you want as, you know, it's, you know, as being, you know, a, you know, targetable. It's, it's just sad, you know, it, it, but this is, this is stuff that, you know, we, we've had to all cope with in our life. You know, like I told you in the seventies, when, when I started to really remember things, you know, I was too young in the sixties. Um, it was always bad. It was like always bad. And I could, I could do a podcast for the next 10 years every week on, on a story of somebody I knew, you know, or myself or my family that was involved in, in scenarios like that. I don't know. Bad thing. All I, all I cared about was learning how to fight so I could defend myself. And if I'm with my grandmother or my grandfather, although my grandfather could, he was a boxer. He, he was pretty tough. Um, but I wanted to be able to defend my family. Okay. And myself. And then later on, you know, I figured if I get a girlfriend or a wife, you know, I'll be able to handle all of that. Probably. Well, I don't know about you, Nico. Well, yeah, yeah, Nico, I do know about you. The neighborhood you came from was not a walk in the park either. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't where you grew up, but definitely not a, you know, very peaceful environment. So violence and crime is just a part of life. If you're living in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah, big cities are even, yeah, it just, it, me right now, to be honest, guys, because of all the other stress I'm under here with, with things, I try to tone it out. You know, I don't want to hear it. You know, I tune tune to another channel, so to speak. I don't want to, I can't deal with it right now. I can't save the, it bothers me because I don't want anything to happen to these people, but I know that I'm handcuffed. I can't save the world like that, um, you know. I'm doing, and we're doing what we can, you know, and like I said, with this membership thing, I'll be, this, these are going to be videos on, you know, techniques, you know, not just talking, it's going to be lessons. So what more can I do? Teach you that I can share videos of, of, of instruction that if you follow my guidance, you'll be able to defend yourself against anybody. That's about all I can do. Right. I mean, what more can I do? I can't walk around with everybody. 24 hours a day and be their personal bodyguard. So well, well, inevitably, yeah, people, and that's the shame is people are going to have, there's going to be vulnerable people out there and that can't, can't be protected or whatever, but, you know, maybe it is the call to the, everybody else, you know, to, to be not only aware for your own surroundings, but also to see who else might be vulnerable out there, you know, uh, in your day to day, you know, it may not be your, you know, none of us can do it as a, as a full-time thing. We've got to live our lives, but also keep an eye on those around us, you know, know your neighbors, um, you know, just people walking down the street, see who might need to have someone, you know, be just have watching over, keep an eye on those who who look vulnerable in your surroundings. 
Well, they have these signs like we call police or whatever that certain people put in their house and their windows. So that's kind of like to recognize that that in essence is like a safe house. And there's another phenomenon. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but people who wear safety pins. So you wear the safety pin guy or woman, it doesn't matter, almost like a brooch. And that's to indicate I'm here to help you, you know, in your day-to-day life. Okay. If, if you're being verbally assaulted or physically assaulted, you see somebody with a safety pin on, that's supposed to be a signal to run to them and they will get involved in whatever the issue is that you're dealing with. Okay. So I don't know if you guys were familiar with that, but that exists. But again, are these people, the safety pin people, are they trained? I mean, what are they going to do for you? Maybe be a witness? I don't know. How can we trust the pin? That's right. I mean, exactly. It could be a setup. This is the thing. I've said this on so many of my videos that dealt with self-defense is that, and you've heard me say this, if you go into a situation, let's just call it a bar situation, you have to expect that everybody in that bar is going to be against you, okay? You cannot expect all these people to be on your side. That's the, that's the mantra that I've lived my life with since I was a little kid. I saw I had, I can't even remember that I ever had any help, okay? I had to deal with this shit that happened to me on my own, all right? So that's what I tell everybody. You have to take care of yourself. You. You can't expect anybody else to do it. Yeah, I'm not a very trusting person when it comes to that. And even kind-hearted people that may legitimately try to help you can actually make it worse. You know, getting in, getting in your way or, you know, just gumming up the works. I don't need that shit. You know, so, yeah, that's I, – I, but I've always had – you know, I had proper training. I was in shape. I was young enough, you know. But I, I took matters into my own hands, and I, I really wish more people would would do that. And it and it starts by finding proper training, no matter no matter what it is, if it's weapons related or psychologically related or fight related, get the proper training. Don't fall for the marketing hype of some person. You know, really, you know, deal with legit people, world class, legit. So we also passed a kind of a, a big holiday around here, uh, St. Patrick's Day. So we should probably honor that a little bit. Let's talk about some Irish fighters that you know of. Do you know of any boxers, that uh, Irish ones that stand out in your mind? <laughs> well, it's, Sean O'Grady was a good commentator and a good fighter when I was a kid. Well, yeah, I mean, see, boxing, it seemed like it, it worked in waves, okay? So the first core of great fighters in this country were the Irish, okay? Because um, they were one of the first, uh, you know, not set, not settlers, but what do you call it? When they come over here from another country. Migrants. <laughs> Migrants, whatever, yes. Um, so you had uh, black fighters, Irish fighters, okay? Then you had eventually a lot of Jewish fighters, okay? Because there was a lot of Jewish people in in poverty, the Italians, uh, Hispanics, you know, so you, you kind of, you know, you had these cycles, 
there were a lot of great Irish. I mean, John L. Sullivan is probably the most famous Irish fighter, boxer in history, right? Um, just, you know, the Boston strong boy. That's what they called him. So I would have to say any talk about, you know, Irish fighters has to start with um, with with John L. What was Jack Dempsey? Was he Irish? You know, I think he was actually, I, I don't, don't quote me on this, but I thought he may have had some Native American in him, um, but I could be wrong. But I, I thought he might have had some of that. But again, once again, I, I could be wrong. But Dempsey, of course, came around, you know, a little after the fact um, of uh, John L. I mean, they never fought each other. But, yeah, I mean, I think James Corbett may have had Irish in him. Um, yeah, but that, that there, there's, there was a lot of, you know, different nationalities dabbling in the stuff, and some became champions, you know. But, yeah, the Irish, you know, the big thing here in this country is fighting Irish in Notre Dame. Notre Dame University. That's like the, the big Irish thing. Uh, what are some Irish fighters that that you uh, like, uh, Joe or Nico? Uh, there's none that come to my mind, just other than Conor McGregor, because he's wow. in the headlines. Um, oh, no. this... Yeah, I was thinking Dempsey sounded like an Irish name. Well, but, he could have been. Could have been. I, I you know. The only Irish guy I was thinking of was the guy that fought Mike Tyson. Uh, I forgot. Oh, Peter McNeely? <laughs> yeah. Guy, he was Peter a character, McNeely. man. What, oh, a, what oh, a personality. Uh, Jerry Cooney. You, you want to talk about an Irishman that, you know, fought, he fought Larry Holmes. Uh, you know, I believe he got knocked out or stopped in the 13th round. It was the night that I graduated high school. That's why I'll always remember June 11th, 1982. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, gentleman Jerry Cooney. Big boy, you know, big guy, you know. Um, yeah, he was another uh, a fighter, you know, the, the that what promoted the Irish uh, thing. Um, yeah, it was it. it yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that many actually. I mean. It was my grandfather, of course, but I never see him in an actual fight, so I, I wouldn't know how he would do. He had a full head of hair, though, so he had that going for him. Yeah, well, see, that's the thing with you. Uh, you you base everything on your looks, okay? Because you got that. You have that, and most of us don't have what you have like that. The devastating looks. That's the thing. You're not just like a nice looking guy, according to you. Well, like I said, you're beautiful in your own words, right? And it's just tough for people like Nico and myself and probably 99.9% of the rest of the population to, to deal with, man. He's got the luck of the Irish. <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> well, that's another benefit of the membership program is there'll be a lot of extra footage of me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right, what... there'll be a lot, a lot of footage of you from a lot of different angles. So if you get your Joe Cardinal fixed. Join the membership program. <laughs> yeah, you know, but it's interesting that when um, nationalities tend to have their, like Italy, Brazil, you know, they're the soccer, right? F football, whatever. That, that's big in those 
you know, the national pride because, because of that, you know, America, it's football and, and, and baseball, even though baseball is really popular um, in other countries, you know, especially like Japan, uh, Dominican Republic, you know, Cuba, there's, you know, baseball's grown, but yeah, every, you know, nationalities have their pride in, in things and Irish you know, they get that, well, like fighting Irish. They get labeled fighters or drinkers or whatever. You know, be, nationalities get this this label. Sometimes it's deserved. Sometimes it's it's not, you know, but, yeah, interesting. But, yeah, John O'Sullivan to me was the first, you know, he was, what, the last of the bare-knuckle champions. And um, I know, he was a really popular guy back in, you know, late 1800s. Did he fight here or on the other side, like in the Atlantic or in Ireland? Or? Well, he may have. No, he fought here. I mean, he may have done fights overseas, but no, he was he was here. So he's an American. Oh. Yeah, I don't know much about him. Boston, you know, but well, he was he was he did some feats of strength. He was like a strong, like a like a real real strong man. But you know, he did stuff like that. Um, his big thing is he'd walk into a saloon, he'd walk into a bar, and he slam his hand down and he'd say, and he would say, I'm John L. Sullivan and I could lick any son of a bitch in the house. Okay. That's what he used to say. And back then, you know, there was a time when boxing was illegal. They would fight like on piers and just different places, you know, pitch up ropes and, you know, let's have at it. Um, but one other thing, you know, they, you look back at some of those records and they had like a lot of rounds. They would fight for like, you know, 50, 60 rounds. Well, a knockdown was the end of a round. So a lot of times if you get knocked down or thrown down even, that was considered the end of that round. So it, it rules have changed. So you, it's hard to compare back then to now. And, you know, they, and they fought more like this. You know, they would expose their, their backhand a little bit more. And uh, they didn't use a jab like, you know, we know how to do, and there wasn't a lot of head movement. Um, but one thing that I mentioned it, I don't know if you remember this, Joe, but you were over at the house here a few years ago, and I put on an, an interview with mentioning Jack Dempsey. I put on an interview with Jack Dempsey when Dempsey was very old, okay, in his 70s. And Dempsey talked perfect like there was nothing wrong with his with his brain right and that's very telling right? you can interpret that any way you want but the biggest yeah. thing what would you attribute that to that he didn't take a lot of hits okay yeah. because the punching was di they weren't it, it was a different kind of fighting back then okay it wasn't the guy's the next probably in the forties and fifties and so on, that's when you really started to get these guys that were, they took, they took it to another level. Okay. Um, and Dempsey, you know, was great, you know, but he at the time uh, was, was knocked because when he won the title, he went like, maybe I forgot exactly. I should have looked this up. Maybe Joe can look it up while I'm talking two or three years when he didn't defend his title. Okay, it was a long period of time. We could look that up. And even then, the contemporary uh, reviews were, this guy don't want to fight, right? He, he won the title, but he was involved in other things. He didn't want to defend it. Uh, 
but you know he they they approach things differently they sat down a little bit more on their punches um you know to try to get that to generate that power and if you watch any of the footage it's you know wild i guess you'd say compared to what we know jack johnson in, in that era was more a step more in the in the more modern direction uh joe lewis if you look at footage of joe lewis which came 20 years later roughly you know 15 years later uh joe lewis was really looked modern okay kept his elbows in kept his chin down got a nice angle through straight punches um of course you know he made mistakes schmelling was able to capitalize on it but in their first fight but yeah look at how boxing has developed and if you see any footage of fighters from the fighters from the 50s and 60s and 70s you know amazing what they would do and the angles and the you know and the movement and the and the speed and those guys generally none of them were weight trained you know they they were they were against cal you know weights except maybe you know they had those pulleys on the walls to help their their shoulders and their tries and everything but yeah it was very telling you know that when i saw that about dempsey um uh, i just hey okay man he I remember when I met Jake Lamada, and he ended up really bad with, uh, you know, like dementia, you know, uh, related. Um, Tony Zale, same thing. Uh, well, when I met Jake, and I was with my accordion teacher, Jerry Sigler, as a matter of fact, we went to, to the fights, and he happened to be there talking to people. And, yeah, it was pretty evident even then <clears throat> that it was bad. Floyd Patterson was another one who I believe – had to testify in court about something and he didn't know his wife's name. It's kind of bad. You know, these guys took a lot of abuse. It's, it's rough. So you just think the technique as modern boxing evolved, they, there's maybe some tipping point where they're able to generate so much power that you really couldn't have a long-term career without ultimately just having that neurological damage. If you were going to make a profession of it. Is that kind of what you're you're thinking, or? I mean, <clears throat> I would say this. I mean, it only it only takes really one punch to knock you. I mean, to you can get a concussion. You know, with it doesn't take thirty or you know forty blows to the head. You know, it could just be one perfect punch that that could cause a problem for you. Okay, uh, what I'm saying is that fighting, like anything else, evolves. And yes, it's nice to romanticize about how it was back in the days of, 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 you know, yesteryear. And there's some lost secret techniques and all of that, but really it's none of that. It's, it's, it's not true. Okay. There has been a lineage of, let's say boxing trainers, for example, guys like, you know, Ray Arcel and everything who lived to be, I don't know, 90 or something. A lot of these trainers they went back, their trainers, where they learned, all of this goes back to, you know, history. So if there was any, like, secret, it was going to be passed along. It wasn't going to be a secret. No, styles have evolved. You know, fighters started to change. Uh, you know, that slipping and that, you know, head movement, 
you know, that, that was a big thing. You look at fighters way back then, man, it, they, it was more like a toe to toe thing. Um, and I just think, you know, like, like most sports, you, you build on, on the previous generation, you stand on the shoulders of your predecessor, you know, you just get better and better until, you know, you hit the, you, you, you hit the limits of human uh, possibility. We've probably talked about this before, but kind of because we're going back to Sullivan and the bare knuckle stuff, you know, when did the, the gloves get and the hand wraps get bigger, you know, because I guess one of the uh, discussions I've always heard is that, you know, as they began to protect the hand and wrist more, it, it freed them up to hit with more power. So, um, you know, you, you can't with your knuckles, like if you're fighting bare knuckle, it's just you're almost limited uh, physically, how hard you can hit, you know, you, you would change how much body you're, you're putting behind the punch just naturally over time, you'd compensate, uh, you know, the equilibrium shifts where, you know, as your hand and wrist are more protected, you can hit hard. And, and the downside of that is obviously, you know, you think you're more protected with more gloves, but maybe the person is getting is absorbing actually more force from you. Do you think there's any merit to that or? Yeah, there could be merit to that. You know, I, I, yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, they say the same thing about football. They wanted to go at one point, somebody was talking about going back to like the old days where you just wore a leather skin helmet, you know, because the, the football players are so protected that, you know, they they can generate a tremendous amount of force that they never, you know, that you wouldn't be able to do, you know, when if you were just raw. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that, that that plays into it. But beside all of that, I'm just saying from a technical standpoint, you know, it's gotten, you know, technique wise, it's gotten a, a, a lot better. I, I, I'm telling you, you could see footage, you could see the sloppier punches and the wild swings as opposed to you know, the, the punches that are coming straight at you, you know, oh, makes a big difference. And I remember talking to some old timers when I was a kid, you know, that, that boxed, you know, like one guy, Mickey Burns, he was, um, oh, he was when I was probably 20 or 19, 18, maybe he was like 90. Right. I mean, and he would talk about, and he would chew a cigar and he would, you know, this, you know, and he would um, talk about how it was in his day. And the training was completely different. All right. Uh, th- just in the gym, the way they train compared to like the way people of my generation train really really a different a different kind of thing um and then you look at you know through the years you had like james jeffries right uh who they called out of retirement to to fight jack johnson and then you had you know johnson won and then you had guys like uh you know yeah you mentioned dempsey jess willard you know six foot six uh you you had characters in a way, you know, you had personalities even back then. Uh, maybe uh, Gene Tunney might have been the least character of of all the fighters. The more plain, he was a bookworm. He was like a, he was in a philosophy. He was a, you know, Marine and Navy, you know, so he was a military guy. And I think he ended up even marrying a, a socialite, but he was, you know, I wouldn't say flamboyant, like some, some of the other fighters were. And then 
you get to Max Bear and Primo Canera time, and you know, and that's the Joe Lewis era, and you know, things went. You know how that developed from there. You had your Jersey Joe Walcotts and your um, Archie Moores and Rocky Marcianos, and on and on until the present day. So when you look at the rock, well, one of the things is most of those heavyweights wouldn't be heavyweights today. They wouldn't be able to fight in the heavyweight division. They would be probably cruiserweights. All right. Um, maybe even light heavyweights. Some of these guys were not big by today's standards. So to sit there and say like Marciano versus, I don't know. Um, oh, uh, my brains, the Russians, the brothers, uh, you know, that's, a gigantic weight difference. You know, Marciano wouldn't be fighting as a heavyweight today. Get my point? So, how, how much did he weigh? I thought it, in his prime he was about 180, maybe 185. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, it's it's now the middleweights. Even then, now, you know, boxing has, had gotten, has gotten so particular, you know, super middleweights, junior middleweights, you know, they, they, they really narrowed the weight categories. And I, I mean, I would think one of the reasons as well is you get more champions that way, obviously. Okay. Um, because I don't think that the three, five pound weight difference is, a, is, is a big thing because you, whatever they weigh, weighed in at, I mean, come fight time, they, they may weigh differently. Uh, you know, um, they may put on a few more pounds. It depends on when the weigh-ins are, if they're the day of the fight or how, how much earlier before the fight, you know, that, that plays a role in it. But, but yeah, those fight, I mean, fight fighters, you know, their styles, you know, styles have changed. So what do you think are the differences in, as far as the training aspect from way back then as, as to now, obviously weight training is, different because nobody did that back then what other things do you think are different do you think they were sparring like the same way the same amount of time or was it less sparring and more conditioning or what do you think some of the major differences are well the biggest difference is nutrition okay that that is across the board the biggest difference we know more about food science we know more about um you know cycles of your body so Food, nutrition is, is the biggest difference, uh, in my opinion. Uh, as, far, as far as sparring goes, well, those, the, fighter, the championship fights were 15 rounds. They went longer up until, you know, the Ray Mancini uh, uh, situation. Um, but no, sparring I don't think changed as much because you still didn't want to risk injury. You didn't want to burn your fighter out. You're, you know, the guy that you're actually, you know, your man, you didn't want to burn him out. Yeah. Weight training. Uh, I think the science of training, the interval, uh, thing, the plyometrics, some of that had, has changed, but let's talk about the commonalities. Running was always a part of it. Rope was always part of it physical conditioning, you're conditioning your body, your stomach, your sit-ups and, and your abdominal work was always a part of it. Bag work was always a part of it. Now, the mitts have, you know, like Russell was talking about, the mitts have, have you know, probably been a, a big change. Um, and 
the speed bag has been a, a change because you know you, they tended to use a bigger, heavier, or a, a, a larger speed bag, a little bit slower. And through the years, you know, they started to get smaller and smaller to to the point of a peanut bag, you know, and, and then that's you know really to it makes it even faster. Um, so there's been some differences there. And uh, I just think the introduction of the, there's probably a ton, there was a probably tons more trainers at one point, maybe not so much currently, but maybe in their peak, 50s, 60s, 70s. So you had their input and every trainer would bring their own little take on stuff. Um, but I think footwork, that, that, that to me is the biggest when I look at fighters then and I look at them now, or when I say now, like my age, uh, the footwork was totally different, much improved currently, you know, in my era and, and up till the present day. Yeah, I would say that like the differences that I see, which I don't watch a lot of boxing, but um, I think back then it definitely produced some really like courageous uh, fighters that just kind of like Rocky and they just won't quit, you know? Um, but definitely I could see that they're the modern fighters seem a lot more agile, you know, definitely, like you said, with the footwork, I think that's huge. Well, again, too, another thing is a lot of those fighters back then you were in fighting. Okay. You were fighting on the inside. So that's going to limit your footwork to a degree. Um, Muhammad Ali helped popularize fighting on the outside, you know, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee out this way, a little distance, you know, a lot more. Um, so that, that changed it a lot. Uh, and that does make a big difference. You know, obviously when you're in close, when you're tight, you, you, you don't have that range that you can move around. You know, it's all upper body looking for the twists and, and trying to produce that, that subtle angle, throwing something to, you know, make the guy move so you can clip them, you know, so that makes a big difference. And even today, if you have an infighter, as opposed to an, uh, a, a guy who, uh, you know, fights at a distance, Joe Frazier, all right. Who, uh, because of his physicality, he, he had pretty good movement because he wanted to be in, he didn't want to be on the outside. You know, he didn't want to be on that tail end of that punch. He wanted to be in. So he would be he would he would come in and, and 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 give you a different kind of energy. So his footwork, you compare it to Muhammad Ali's, there was no comparison. Ali was a different type of fighter, and therefore moved in a different way, because Ali had different gifts or skills attributes than Joe. Uh, same with Foreman. Okay, George Foreman, you know he's not going to be known for his footwork because of his girth, even back when he was in his fight in Ali and, you know, back then, you know, he, he didn't move like others did. You know, it's funny you mentioned Ali. I was watching, there was some really good breakdowns and I, on, I found on YouTube of him, like his fight with Sonny Liston. I, I should send him your way and see what your impression is of him. Um, but just watching his style in some ways he seems like such an anomaly in some ways because of his athleticism. It's called, it almost reminds me of a musician who's kind of transcended the rules. It seemed like he was breaking a lot of the fundamentals. Um, 
you know, like, you know, if I was trying to pull that off, I would get destroyed. You know, a lot of like even in early rounds, it seems like his hands were low. He would definitely bait with his head. It seemed like, and, and kind of provoke attacks. And I, and that's one of the things I kind of struggle with, with watching kind of high level boxers is, you know, we talk a lot about reflexes and their attributes is that, and sometimes I feel like they're taking more risks to kind of open up the fight. Um, you know, to, like I said, again, you know, if someone's playing a, a completely defensive, um, technically correct boxing game, you know, maybe not a lot of damage is going to happen right away, especially if you have two fighters who are covered up and, you know, um, and I don't know if, you know, this is just my impression, but just kind of my wondering as I'm watching it is like, you know, I know like even in early rounds, I see guys with their hands low or, you know, their chin out. And, I, and I'm assuming that they're just playing it kind of at a higher level to to draw stuff because it's like, it would definitely be different advice than when I, what I was given. It's like, yeah, how, you know, you obviously want to be kind of very much more protected. So am I, am I, am I reading that kind of right? Or is there something else going on there too? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, yeah, you're, you're, you're on the right track too. And, and remember it's about marketing. It's about being entertaining. Um, you, you know, you, you, you want to entertain the fans. You want to put, Fans in the seats, that means money in your pocket. Yeah, so a lot of fighters are like that. You know, Roy Jones was one of them. And then when his physical skills started to deteriorate, you know, he didn't have the traditional boxing, you know, he fought in a different way. And opponents were able to capitalize on it. Same with, sadly, with Muhammad Ali. You know, when his attributes started to fail, so did he. Conversely, look at George Foreman. Foreman won the title at, what, 43 years of age? Um, he did not have Ali's speed, and he didn't, you know, you know, stick his head, you know, prompt things like that and re- rely on his reflexes, right? Uh, so there's something to be said about that. Uh, while you have skills, or, or not skills, but when you have attributes, take advantage of them, of course. But if that's what you're banking on, and I am not saying this specifically about Ali or these guys, but there are people who just don't practice or don't train properly because they don't feel they need to because they have all these natural gifts. When those gifts start to deteriorate, yeah, you don't you don't have those fundamentals to fall back on. That's, you know, that's a trap. You know, I don't fault any of those guys because they're athletes. They're paid to perform. And they know that they have a short window, all right, guys. And once their boxing career is over, that you know, hopefully that's it. For us, with self-defense, you you never you could be like we're talking about earlier today, seventy years old and have to defend yourself. You're not going to have your physical skills that you had when you're thirty. That's why you have to have those techniques, those fundamentals, you know, um, rock solid. Because you'll, you, you're going to need these tools, you know, for the rest of your life. There's the difference. Uh, so, but Ali, you know, he was, I mean, look what he did. He was the most popular athlete in the world. And I would still say he's one of the top five, if not top three, most popular athletes in history. You know, the only other two that I can think of that rival him is Babe Ruth and uh, Michael Jordan. Those are the 
at least here in America, you know, those are the three big names uh, that I can think of that have, that, that have crossed, you know, generations. I think that's a mistake that some people make is especially like for beginners, they'll see an athlete like, like Ali transcending the rules, like Joe said, and, and they, they might think, well, Ali fights with his hands down. So I'm going to do it that way, regardless of what the coach says, but they don't realize that Ali spent years and years and years mastering the fundamentals, which they had not, you know, that people just see the end result, but they don't really see what went into it. And just like what we were talking about, Russell, with the Mayweather style of mitt training, when people see that end result of Mayweather hitting those pads and they think, well, if I hit pads fast, then I'll be like Mayweather. But they don't realize all of the training and all the mastery that went into the fundamentals before, prior to that. So I think that's a, that's a problem people have. They want, they see the end result and then they want to base their training on that instead of listening to the coaches and, and mastering the fundamentals. Yeah. It's frustrating as a coach now, you know, me being a coach is very frustrating. Yeah. Because they want, a lot of people just want that flash or they want to see me flash, you know, do a flashy move, you know, and yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, I can show you flashy moves. I can show you a trick shot on a pool table. It's not the way you do it. You know, um, yeah, I'm always, you know, I'm harping on fundamentals all the time. But, yeah, it works for these people. You know, it, it worked for Muhammad Ali or it worked for, you know, whoever, Roy Jones, you name it. But once again, you know, most of us don't have that particular skill or, you know, uh, attributes that they have. You know, we all have our own attributes, you know, uh, I, I have attributes that Ali didn't have. You have attributes that he didn't have, right? So it's a trade-off. But one thing I've learned, you know, especially when you go through health things, injuries, serious stuff like that, you know how vulnerable you can be when you're not at 100%. So therefore, I've always wanted to make sure that I had my fundamentals and, you know, I can handle myself without relying on anything flashy, right? So, you know... That's just my take. It doesn't mean that you have to think like me. If you're into the flash and you want to look good, go for it. Who am I to tell you don't? It's your life. Do what you want. But for me, fundamentals is is, is what it's all about for me. Just keep on working on it. You know, you mentioned Foreman. I saw him on some interviews, and he always seemed kind of sharp. I don't think he took as much punishment. I mean, he had a large gap in his career, obviously. Maybe he didn't have as many fights. I haven't heard him recently, but he didn't seem to take as much punishment either. Um, I don't know what your impression was, but that's what I just kind of informally was thinking about it when you mentioned him. And maybe that just also goes to the the value of power. I mean, because that's kind of what he was known for, correct? Just like un- ungodly power and and <laughs> and how... Um, and the bottom line, you know, that's going to, that's going to, you know, get you a lot, go take you a long way in fighting above, above a lot of other things. Absolutely. In him, Ernie Shavers, although, you know, Foreman was the more uh, acclaimed fighter, you know, champion and all that, you know, Olympian and everything, gold medalist. And yeah, Foreman had that, that crazy power. Uh, and he was a, just a, you know, a, a good fighter. I mean, there's 
controversy about his fight with Ali, you know, um, that I'm, you know, I can only tell you that Foreman claimed that he was doped in the fight, you know, and wasn't, there was a lot, you know, a lot of things going on there. And I, I was too young. I didn't, I don't know. I wasn't a part of that, but you know, George, George was a hell of a fighter. You know, a lot of his fights didn't go the distance, you know, he was knocking people out and, you know, when you have that kind of a power, you're kind of afraid, you know, you don't want to get hit and blasted. All right. I'll never forget when he knocked Frazier off his feet, you know, uh, you know, that's that just amazing, you know? So yeah, maybe Foreman didn't take the kind of hits that maybe somebody else did. Who knows? You know, maybe the, maybe it was the accumulation or maybe it was just, he never got hit with those solid type of punches. I, I can't speculate. I don't know. Um, but I, I'm glad he doesn't, he don't, he doesn't have it, you know, uh, but it doesn't take much. I mean, the, the stuff that happened to me, you know, left an effect and it, it gets, you know, it gets the way it gets. Um, Johnny Lira, you know, my, my buddy that passed away, you know, he, you know, it was bad on him. You know, it, it happens, but I wish it didn't happen, but it does. Well, I think it's a good time to wrap it up, then. Okay. That sounds good to me. Um, yeah, thanks, guys, for being on, and we'll be here next week and probably have, you know, talk more about that membership program because then we should have all the kinks. We just got to wait. Main, main thing is the ad copy. Once we get that, we'll be good. Yeah, I'm excited to get that going. I think there's a lot of good information that, you know, I think people who've seen the kind of what I would say your regular tapes, this is a lot more informal and getting to see you kind of improvise and teach the way you would teach a lesson. So I think it's kind of some, it'll be some great content that will be made available to people that will be fresh and worthwhile. So I think I'm excited that we'll get this going. Yeah, me too. Well, thanks again, guys. And I hope you guys all have a good week and I'll see you next week. All right. See you next week. See you guys. Thank you.